This week on Choice Hacking, I'm revisiting one of my most popular episodes ever, all about how Netflix used psychology and behavioral science to perfect its user experience. Next week, I'll be back with a brand new episode, but until then, enjoy. This week on Choice Hacking. You might recognize that as music from Squid Game, Netflix's most popular show ever. In the first 28 days of its release, viewers streamed Squid Game for a total of 1.65 billion hours. That's a lot. Founded in 1997 by Reed Hastings and Mark Randolph, Netflix, now a multi-billion dollar streaming service and content producer, started out as a tiny competitor to the video rental chain Blockbuster. Netflix was once a DVD-by-mail rental service who prided themselves on their big library and their lack of late fees. But for more than 20 years, the once scrappy underdog has been growing at a breakneck pace. In 2020 alone, they had more than 200 million subscribers. But now Netflix has a problem. Netflix can't build a business on new subscribers forever because eventually there won't be many new people left to subscribe. You can see it in their stats already. From 2016 to 2020, Netflix reported an average of 24% annual subscriber growth. But in 2021, they only grew about 9%. And unlike Disney+, Plus, who just announced an advertising-supported subscription tier, Netflix isn't interested in using advertising to add more money to its bottom line. So where do they go from here? Well, CEO Reed Hastings has a plan. For a few years now, his focus has been getting existing users to stream longer. So much so that Hastings has named Sleep, one of the brand's biggest competitors, calling it, quote, a very large pool of time. So how does a brand beat Sleep? I've uncovered a few psychology and behavioral science principles at work in the Netflix experience that might give us a clue. I'm Jennifer Kleinhens, and you're listening to Choice Hacking a podcast about applying behavioral science and psychology to business marketing, experience design, and more. Join me today as we examine the science that helped make Netflix the biggest streaming service on the planet and how you can apply some of their strategies to your own work. But before we get started, I want to give a shout out to the company helping to bring you this podcast, Audible. Right now, I'm deep into the audiobook version of the storyteller, Tales of Life and Music, written by lead singer of the Foo Fighters and former Nirvana drummer Dave Grohl. Why not check out my audiobook, Choice Hacking, How to Use Psychology and Behavioral Science to Create an Experience that Sings, written by yours truly and narrated by the amazing and talented Jennifer Amai. Just visit choicehacking.com forward slash audible, and you can get a free 30-day trial of Audible Plus. Now on to the show. If Netflix wants to get users to stream longer and beat sleep, as they put it, there are basically three ways they can do that. One, they need to narrow down their huge library so users can decide on something to watch. Two, Netflix needs to show the right content at the right time for the right user. And last, they need to present that content in a way that makes you want to start watching and keep watching. Let's start with number one narrowing down a user's choices so they can decide what to watch. 
Netflix has tons of great content, almost 50,000 shows and movies. But that many options can be a double-edged sword. On one hand, that amount of choice is part of Netflix's appeal. It's why people join. But the problem is, too much choice can be a hurdle when it comes to deciding on something to watch or buy. The most famous study about the effects of too many options involves jam in a gourmet supermarket. Now, I talked about this study in depth in my very first episode, The Choice Overload Effect, Why More is Less. But if you missed that one, here's the gist. A research team from Columbia University set up a booth of jam samples in a store. Every few hours, they would switch from a display with 24 jams, a lot, to a group with six jams, not so many. When there were lots of jams, people would stop to get a sample, but only about 3% of those customers would buy a jar. When there were only six jars available, fewer people stopped to look. But here's the interesting part. Of the people that stopped to look, 30% of them bought jam. In other words, lots of options attracted customers to browse, but fewer choices got them to buy. The choice overload principle helps explain the infinite scroll, where lots of users get stuck when they're looking for something to watch. Because when people have too many options, they can feel anxious and overwhelmed. They're even more likely to be unhappy with the choice that they ultimately make. Just like with the jam, Netflix knows users are attracted by lots of options, but then it has to help narrow down those choices enough so that users can make a decision. After all, people can't watch longer if they never start watching in the first place. So how do they do that? Netflix does it by personalizing their experience. The importance of personalization is down to a behavioral science principle called the cocktail party effect. It was coined by cognitive scientist Colin Cherry. He discovered our brains can tune into conversations where someone's talking about something we care about, like ourselves. If you've ever overheard someone talking about you at a party and your ears lasered in on their conversation, you've experienced the cocktail party effect. When you're scrolling the Netflix homepage and see a show that features an actor you love or it's a genre you enjoy, you pay more attention to it because it's relevant to you. Netflix believes in the power of personalization so much that it doesn't think of itself as having a single product. It has 200 million versions of Netflix, one for every user. And it uses its recommendation algorithm to do that. Sure, it's not perfect, but the numbers don't lie. More than 80% of Netflix shows customers watched in the last two years have been a direct result of its powerful recommendation engine, not someone searching for a specific piece of content. While you're binging the latest season of Bridgerton, Netflix's algorithm is working away in the background, figuring out what you like. When there's enough information about you, Netflix can make it easier and faster to find what you want, so you keep watching. Now that they've found the best content for you, how does Netflix get you to watch it? Well, according to its own internal studies, Netflix believes they only have 90 seconds to catch your attention, and the thumbnail is what does it. When they first started out, Netflix would use the general-purpose images provided by movie studios. Many of these were just resized billboards, print ads, or DVD covers. But then Netflix began testing different visual elements to see if it could start building the perfect thumbnail from scratch. After thousands of experiments, the tech team developed three insights about what makes people click. First, faces that show an emotion that match the title. So a person screaming if the subject is horror, 
or laughing if it's a comedy. Second, when a thumbnail features a famous or polarizing character, it performs better. For example, showing the villain Voldemort's face would perform better than showing Ron Weasley's face on a thumbnail because Voldemort evokes strong emotions from fans. And third, different types of images do better in different parts of the world, so thumbnails have to be localized to the country or region. It's a lot of work, but Netflix knows they have to get you streaming to keep you streaming. It might seem like browsing the Netflix home screen is a boring distraction, but when a user is looking for something new to watch, what they're actually doing is deciding whether or not to take a risk. And eliminating the perceived riskiness of a title helps get users to click. If you're doing a bit of Netflix and chill, the psychological risk is probably pretty high, at least for the first 10 minutes or so. But even if you're just alone eating pizza on the couch, you still don't want to risk ruining your night with a crappy movie. And when it comes to risky situations, one of the most persuasive principles out there is social proof. It says that when it comes to trying new things or taking a risk, we prefer to make sure other people are doing it before trying ourselves. And the more other people are trying something and liking it, the more we want to try it too. How does Netflix apply social proof? There's lots of examples, but we're going to concentrate on two. Trending Now and the Top 10 sections. Netflix Trending Now category is a good example of social proof at work. Whatever reason they're trending, whether it's a new season or a show having a cultural moment like Squid Game, this section surfaces what's popular in your area. Netflix technologists say that Trending Now is one of the few personalization features created in real time. So not only does it use social proof to get people to watch, it's also applying the cocktail party effect by being personalized based on context. Things like the day of the week or even changes in the collective interests of its members. For example, the team could put an Oscar-winning movie in Trending Now the moment it wins an Oscar. The second place Netflix uses social proof is in its top 10 section. Top 10 lists drive traffic because they show what's popular in the area and exactly how popular a movie or TV show might be. The top 10 also has a bonus behavioral science principle at work, appropriately named the top 10 effect. It says that people naturally arrange things into round number groups, and everything outside of these groups is considered inferior. In other words, top 10 lists grab people's attention and interest. Both uses of social proof speak to a deeper psychological fear. Trying new things is risky, and looking to see what everyone else is doing helps hedge your bets that a title will be worth binging. Thank you for listening to the Choice Hacking Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, could you do me a big favor and rate or review it because it helps more listeners find the show. I spend about 20 hours putting together every single episode of this podcast, so it is a huge help if you rate, review, or just share an episode. And if you're interested in learning more about how behavioral science and psychology can help grow your business, I'd like to invite you to sign up for the free Choice Hacking newsletter. You'll join more than 5,000 marketers, entrepreneurs, and product designers who get one free case study sent directly to their inboxes every single week. The Choice Hacking community is a brilliant group of folks from more than 180 countries. They come from big brands like Google, Coke, Disney, and Amazon, as well as smaller companies and even solopreneurs. I think you'd fit right in. Just visit choicehacking.com forward slash subscribe. 
That's choicehacking.com forward slash subscribe. Until next time. I, I have rapped in a program I did, a Weird Weekends episode about rap. Can you remember any of the rap that you did? My money don't jiggle jiggle, it folds. I'd like to see you wiggle wiggle, for sure. It makes me want to dribble dribble, you know. Riding in my Fiat, you really have to see it. Six feet two in a compact, no slack. But luckily the seats go back, I got a knack to relax in my mind. Sipping some red, red wine.